a broad panel of several dozen gram-negative bacteria that, again, can acquire not just one specific resistant, but dozens and dozens of different resistances. They can, you know, have resistance to penicillins, they can have resistance to fluoroquinolones, they can have resistance to uh, third-generation cephalosporins, uh, there can be carbapenemase resistance. And in fact, we have situations today where some of these bugs have acquired multiple multiple different genetic variants for for antibiotic resistance there have been cases of patients in the united states where literally all of our available antibiotics across all different classes of antibiotics no longer work where we're literally out of options this is the public health insight podcast hi my name is will and i will be your host for this episode along with fellow co-host gordon Before we move on, it is important to note that the views expressed in this podcast are our own and do not represent any of the organizations we work for or are affiliated with. Mr. Oliver Schack is a corporate finance professional and expert in the molecular diagnostics industry for over 20 years. He is the CEO of Opgen, a precision medicine company harnessing the power of molecular diagnostics and bioinformatics to help combat infectious diseases, also co-founded Cancer MDX company Epigenomics. He obtained his diploma in European Business Administration at the European School of Business in Reutlingen in London in 1994, as well as a master's degree and a PhD at the University of Cambridge. Mr. Schack, welcome to the Public Health Insight Podcast. Pleasure to be here. Mr. Schack, can you start off by telling us a bit about um, Opgen and let us know a bit more about your role as a CEO of this, of this company? Sure. Well, as you said, I'm an option precision medicine company. We're really trying to harness the power of uh, bioinformatics, uh, artificial intelligence powered algorithms to predict not only antimicrobial resistance, but actually uh, antibiotic susceptibility as well. The company is the product of a uh, merger and business combination between Option here in the United States, uh, based out of Rockville, Maryland and Germany-based Curatus, which I had the pleasure of uh, heading as their CEO for the past 10 years prior to bringing the two companies together uh, in April 2020, in the midst of the uh, COVID pandemic. Um, We have uh, products in the market for uh, life-threatening infectious disease testing, such as uh, pneumonia, a complicated urinary tract infection, joint infection, always with a view of combining the pathogen identification with the identification of antimicrobial resistance. It's a publicly listed company, uh, headquartered, as I said, here in the United States and listed on NASDAQ under the ticker OPGN. Awesome. And so you mentioned that Opgen focuses on precision medicine. So what is that and why is it an important area for us to be focusing on? In general, precision medicine would describe any approach whereby you try to get the right drug to the right patient for the right reason at the right time. Now, when I was in oncology at epigenomics for 13 years, that meant choosing the right, you know, oncology drug given a patient-specific cancer situation, but also given the specifics of the patient's genetics. Now, when you look at infectious disease, uh, it's, it's a slightly bit, it's a bit different because um, it is about getting the right antibiotic to target the specific genetic makeup of the pathogens, more often than not bacterial pathogens or sometimes fungal, uh, and making sure that your selection of antibiotics is specifically targeted to those 
bugs to those uh, bacteria that are causing the underlying disease in the patient rather than, you know, the opposite end of the spectrum would be, you know, using a sledgehammer, which unfortunately all too often we're doing, using broad spectrum antibiotics for everyone simply because we do not know uh, and we're flying blind to the uh, the specific diagnostic of what the bug is and what the AMR profile looks like. So it's really about making smart choices, rational decisions uh, about the selection of specific antibiotics in a specific patient situation to treat specific bacteria uh, and AMR situations. You touched on some very important points there, especially, uh, specifically what stuck out to me was... Um, the differentiating between the what you call the sledgehammer approach, right? Um, when we are talking about um, antimicrobials, antibacterial, and I think for a lot of our viewers at home, um, this is definitely a topic that's that's of, that's of interest, and it seems to have been becoming more and more mainstream. A lot, a lot more people are talking about it in the recent years, um, and that's the idea of antimicrobial resistance and you know antimicrobials in general. Um, do you mind speaking a bit about kind of what? What are antimicrobials for our viewers at home, or you know, what are what is antimicrobial resistance for that matter? Antibiotics are basically drugs that uh, kill bacteria. Um, now, antimicrobial resistance is a naturally occurring process. It's really evolution in overdrive. It's bacteria trying to survive, and it happens naturally. So, if you you know look at any specific. Um, space, whether it's inside the human body or it's in, in wastewater or in the environment, you have bacteria all over and you have bacteria on our skin, uh, etc. Bacteria are just trying to survive. So if a bacteria uh, is sharing, you know, precious little space, one of the ways to potentially get an edge for such bacteria is to acquire certain genetic mutations, tiny little changes to the makeup of the DNA of those bacteria that basically lets them survive better. And if you were, you know, most bacteria replicate uh, anywhere from every 20 minutes, some every hour, others it takes, you know, a day or more to, to, to duplicate. But what then happens if there is an advantage by having become resistant, um, then those bacteria that have become resistant will multiply, whereas others will die. And therefore, these resistant bugs, or sometimes we, especially in a hospital environment, refer to them as sort of hospital superbugs, um, become the dominant uh, the dominant species. And you know that could lead to situations where a patient, then, if infected with such uh, resistant antimicrobial resistant bugs, will no longer respond to antibiotics, because that's one of the things. One of the um, you know uh, traits that such bacteria can acquire is the ability to continue to survive even under the stress of, um, you know, antibiotics as, as drugs, as treatments. So um, there's other factors, of course, uh, that contribute, but one of them is clearly the overuse or indiscriminate use of broad-spectrum antibiotics. Every time we use broad-spectrum antibiotics, and that is the challenge, really, the, the, the conundrum here, we may clearly be saving that individual patient's life. I mean, don't get me wrong, broad-spectrum antibiotics are fantastic drugs, and they save many people's lives today. However, in the process of indiscriminately using and overusing these broad-spectrum drugs, every time we use them, there is the likelihood of bugs getting resistant. Next time around, drug may no longer work for the next patient. 
And so we're, in fact, creating uh, and causing in our hospitals, in our intensive care units, in our wards or old people's homes, we're, we're causing more and more bugs to become resistant. Other factors, clearly lack of hygiene, uh, you know, if you go to certain uh, parts of the world where whether it's uh, wastewater, um, uh, you know, you go to parts of India, especially when a lot of the antibiotics that we're using on the planet are being manufactured in India, surrounding those plants, you'll find that the wastewater contains extraordinary amounts of antibiotics and not surprisingly, extraordinary, um, you know, multi-drug resistant bugs. Um, because again, that's all these bugs try to do is survive and, and they're trying to survive under tremendous load of antibiotics. Um, so, you know, that that's really, it is a naturally occurring phenomenon. Um, and the way we need to try and address this is really by being smart about finding out what the bug is, what the uh, AMR profile looks like, and then making smart choices about how to treat it in any given individual circumstance. So you're saying uh, oftentimes clinicians will prescribe broad spectrum because uh, I guess it's a little bit maybe cumbersome or resource intensive to maybe diagnose AMR. Um, so can you speak to, you know, how do we go about diagnosing an AMR infection so that we don't have to use broad spectrum antibiotics? Well, you're, you're absolutely right. So let's let's step back. What is the standard of care today in our hospitals here in the United States? Uh, in, in Europe, frankly, all around the world, our standard of care for diagnosing bacteria and antimicrobial resistance is microbiology culture. And we've been doing it for over 130 years. It was originally discovered slash invented in the late 1800s uh, in Europe, um, pretty much by a German uh, microbiologist, Robert Koch. Um, and we're still essentially doing the same thing. You're taking a, uh, a Petri dish, you're putting some growth media in there, then you take your specimen and you streak it out on the plate. You incubate for a couple of days, sometimes more than a week. Because again, these bugs first need to grow. And then you look at what's growing on the plate, you then throw on antibiotics and look what no longer grows. Now, the beauty is if, if the bacteria then no longer grow, Bingo, you know that the bug is still susceptible to antibiotics you can effectively kill. However, if the bug continues to grow, unfortunately, you know it is now resistant to that specific antibiotic that you've put on there. Now, why do then doctors, and, and we're doing this, uh, it is you know relatively cheap, uh, it is extremely well established. As I said, we've been doing it for 130 years. There's been a lot of innovation around automating this. So, you know, today you have hugely sophisticated robotic lab solutions that, that can do, you know, thousands, if not tens of thousands of these plates um, in ultra high throughput. You have automatic readout systems. So the underlying challenge here is that the speed with which bacteria grow, it takes on average two to three days for bugs to grow and then it takes at least an extra day for you to put on the antibiotics and then read out the final result. Now, as a doctor, if you're treating a patient, and again, we're not talking about your, your average flu or you know a, a mild infection where you go to your primary care physician. We're really talking about life-threatening infectious disease, patients being hospitalized either in intensive care already or potentially on their way to an intensive care unit. And there it's about hours. You've got to get this right. This is a life and death situation. 
we have, you know, at a global level, we have hundreds of thousands of patients dying every single year from antimicrobial resistant infections. It's really sort of the silent pandemic underlying the current COVID-19 pandemic. I'm sure we can get back to that. But so if you're a doctor, you're treating that patient. Your only choice, knowing that it's going to take two to three days at best for you to have an answer and know exactly what the bug is and exactly what the AMR profile is, you're not going to wait. So you're going to use your best judgment, your empiric knowledge of your local situation, of what you typically see in your hospital, in your wards, in your patients. And you use these broad spectrum antibiotics as the best choice you have at that point in the absence of any diagnostic information. So part of the solution here is also, uh, you know, we do now have technologies available globally that allow testing for, you know, the specific bugs as well as the AMR markers in a matter of hours, not days. So part of the solution here has to be to, to dramatically broaden the usage of rapid molecular testing. And then, you know, based on a, on an, a rational result that you have in a matter of just a few hours, uh, either continuing where indicated with the broad spectrum, but what we've consistently seen at Optgen in clinical studies that we've done around the globe is usually between 30%, I'd say the average is probably around 50%, in some cases as high as 85% of all patients being treated with these broad spectrum antibiotics are not going to say wrong, wrongly treated, they're inadequately treated. More often than not, they're over-treated. So if you knew that you're not facing one of these superbugs with multiple resistances, you could quickly de-escalate, take away the broad spectrum and go with something as simple as an old-fashioned penicillin or, you know, an older antibiotic. Or in other cases where you then identify the specific bug and the specific AMR pattern, you may be able to, to you know, be very targeted and narrow and pick a specific antibiotic in that specific situation. Again, thereby, you're dramatically reducing side effects, for one, and you're also reducing the uh, creation of new AMR in, in these bugs as you're just being way narrower and way more specific. So it sounds like that's the very definition of precision medicine in this, in a sense. So that's very, that's very well exactly. described. Exactly. So this leads me to, I'm just a little bit curious on what are those common types of AMR infections that maybe result in people being hospitalized or those life threatening AMR infections? I know you often talk about things like urinary tract infections, lower respiratory tract infections. Are there any ones that uh, people might be aware of or some some of the rare, more dangerous? Well, if you look back probably over the last 20 years, one of the most talked about um, superbugs is MRSA or MRSA, methicillin-resistant Staph aureus. Now, that bug, and, and that bug being resistant, can be responsible for a lot of different infections. I mean, it can cause pneumonia, it can cause... Uh, joint infections, for example, after a uh, hip or knee replacement surgery, it can cause, um, you know, surgical wound infections after any type of surgery. It can cause urinary tract infections. And so over the last 20 plus years, there has been a tremendous amount of progress in super fast diagnosis of MRSA. A company that pioneered this was Cepheid, uh, which today is part of Danaher. 
they developed a platform, you know, called the Gene Expert, tiny little cartridge. That was the 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 real the start of this idea. Sample to answer. You have a an easy to use platform. You drop in a sample, walk away, and you come back an hour later. Frankly, today probably no more than forty five minutes later, and you're going to have your answer. Is it MRSA or not? Because if it's if it's still susceptible, you can give certain drugs. If it's already resistant, you need to resort to other drugs. Now that's a single pathogen and a single resistance. Well understood, well diagnosed. It has come down substantially as a threat in the last 20 years. Now, what people are really concerned about in healthcare, in hospitals today, is not Staph aureus, which is a gram-positive bacterium, but a, a broad panel of several dozen gram-negative bacteria that, again, can acquire not just one specific resistant, but dozens and dozens of different resistances. They can you know, have resistance to penicillins, they can have resistance to fluoroquinolones, they can have resistance to uh, third-generation cephalosporins, uh, there can be uh, carbapenemase resistance. And in fact, we have situations today where some of these bugs have acquired multiple, multiple different genetic variants for, for antibiotic resistance. There have been cases of patients in the United States where literally all of our available antibiotics across all different classes of antibiotics no longer work. Where we're literally out of options. Now, and again, whether it's a, so, so the most common infections, if you look at just you know, pure prevalence of disease, um, pneumonia is one of the leading causes of death in hospitalized patients. Um, there's tens of thousands of, of deaths uh, in, in the United States. Uh, in, in Europe, uh, in China, in fact, pneumonia is the second leading cause of death in children. And, it, and the, the, the nature of the beast here is, again, pneumonia can be caused by well over two dozen different pathogens. Gram-positive bacteria, gram-negative bacteria, fungi, some atypicals. And all of these can acquire different genetic AMR markers. So the diagnostic challenge becomes one of, I'm not just detecting Staph aureus and not just one resistance. Because if it's not that, then you're not the wiser. So right from the get-go, you need to be able to test very rapidly for dozens of different pathogens and, you know, at least, let's call it at least 10, some, some would argue 15 to 20 different uh, high-prevalence genetic markers for, for antimicrobial resistance. And you need to be able to do that from native clinical specimens. One of the things that, you know, again, if you look back the last 10, 15 years, the early panels that came out, the early rapid diagnostic tests were all using blood culture, which required you to take a patient sample, run a blood culture, takes at least 12 hours, and then you run your molecular test, which is already progress, but you're just wasted 12 hours up front. So what you really want to be able to do is go straight from the sample that the nurse takes from the patient in the hospital. That sample gets sent to the microbiology lab and you just take a tiny amount of that sample and while you streak it out for your culture and you still do culture, nobody is talking about replacing culture because on the off chance that you know there's something super rare and really out of the, uh, out of the expected universe of things, you don't want to deny any patient um, you know being able to find it in culture but 90 95 percent of all cases it's it's going to be one of those two dozen organisms 
and it's going to be one of those resistance patterns. And so, uh, you know, pneumonia, the second from a volume perspective, complicated urinary tract infections. Uh, a third one that is a high prevalence one is gastrointestinal infections. <clears throat> and then you have all sorts of surgical site infections, which again can be a very wide range. Uh, and then of course, bloodstream infections and, and, and sepsis. Um, so, you know, once you've kind of covered those, you probably again have covered about 85, 90% of all infectious disease um, with, you know, of course there's some, some, you know, really concerning ones such as uh, CNS infections like meningitis, but again, they're much, uh, fortunately much rarer, um, still critical to diagnose, but um, you know, the key ones, pneumonia, urinary tract, joint infections, and then uh, surgical site tissue and bloodstream infections. Thank you for listening to the Public Health Insight Podcast, your go-to space for informative conversations, inspiring community action. If you enjoy our content and would like to stay up to date, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. To learn more about our community initiatives and how you can support us, visit our website at thepublichealthinsight.com. Join the PHI community and let's make public health viral.